Welcome back to the Nutrition Insiders Podcast. I'm Carissa McKay, Health Promotion Specialist in Edmonton, and I cannot believe that we are already on Season 3. This season, as you will have heard in the trailer, we are going to be unpacking some myths that have prevailed for far too long. In each of the myths we are busting, there is usually a kernel of truth, around which, in some cases, a whole industry has arisen. And while not all of it is bad, there is a lot of leading people down the proverbial garden path when a different or less misleading message would have done people a whole lot more good. With me today is my awesome co-health promotion specialist, Nicole Emerson. Welcome back, Nicole. Are you ready to dig into this myth? Hi. No, I'm so glad to be here. I'm, I'm ready to dig into this myth. It's a huge pet peeve. So let's hopefully help set the record straight and dive right in. Awesome. Then yeah, let's get digging. So when we're talking about weight loss, we are generally talking about the desire to lose more than the five pounds you might have put on over the Christmas holidays. Would you agree? Oh, yes. Because although that, I mean, is often where it starts, right? People indulge too much in air quotes, and then they feel they have to do something drastic. And that, unfortunately, is where that lifelong seesaw of gaining, losing, gaining, losing starts. Yeah. So now you throw in having a baby or two. Maybe there was an injury that kept you from being able to be as active as you once were. And pretty soon it can become a real challenge to find and stay at that, again, in air quotes, healthy weight. With all of that kind of as a preamble to where we're going with this, what do you see as being the single biggest challenge when we're trying to address this whole weight loss mythology? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to we need to put more of that focus on prevention, right? And encouraging those health promoting behaviors like from the get go, which is going to serve everyone so much better in the long term. But there's so many moving parts to that. So first, we have that self awareness and thinking about what am I doing? And what is the impact of what I'm doing? And why am I doing it? And what else might be underlying what is going on for me, then throw in everything else that we talked about during season two. So what are the skills and the comfort level and the knowledge that I have and the systems in place to keep me on track and keep me going to my goals and with cooking or sharing meals and finding um, and nurturing that community. And now on top of all of that, we have what what we call recreational eating. And um, what we mean by that is all of the other reasons why we eat other than hunger. So it could be because of boredom or anxiety or just simply the enjoyment of food, but there's a whole host of reasons. And with right now going through COVID and staying home and, and we're finding ourselves stuck at home and dealing with this ongoing challenge of, of living through this pandemic, it, it makes it really challenging to make all that noise quiet down and really think about what you are doing at any given moment and assess whether it is helping or hindering you over the long term and being able to achieve those long term goals of wellness or whatever that weight might be for you that you are at your happiest at. I mean, I think you've hit on so many good points there. So let's take those and try to unpack them a little bit. Let's start with self-awareness. Tell us a little bit more about that as it relates to weight loss or eating. It's about recognizing what you're doing at any given moment. So when we think about, am I a person who eats breakfast? 
Is it that at all or is it before or, or after a workout? If I'm working out in the morning, if I'm not a breakfast person, when is my first meal? Am I starving by the time I eat? And did I plan for that knowing that I am not a breakfast person? Do I have something else to sustain me uh, for the rest of the day? Like have I packed a smoothie or a yogurt bowl or a sandwich or whatever to help me until my next meal? Because that's just the morning. If we are in the habit of skipping meals or we get so busy that we forget to eat, what is the impact of that going to be when we sit down for our next meal? Are we going to lose control? Are we going to overeat? Are we going to make poor choices? And as we heard in episode one of season two with Debs, her habit of just mowing through her day to get things done meant she didn't have a chance to eat. Even though she didn't quote unquote eat rubbish necessarily, it wasn't setting up good habits, which unfortunately become a bit of a slippery slope. Oh, for sure. That slippery slope is so dangerous. As we've talked about in terms of those systems, each of those moments that you're alluding to needs to have all those tiny multiple to quote James Clear atomic habits that make that up so that we're doing it without thinking. Let's just take a look at the next point, which was really the summary of season two. I mean, do I have the skills needed to cook healthy nourishing meals, the resources, the amenities, the time? If you don't, then that's a really big hurdle to overcome because when we have to rely on someone else to get us our food, we lose a lot of that control. But again, for those listeners out there that are eating at the dining halls, there are so many great choices available. But there again, you need to decide to have the vegetables or to choose that salad or the fruit instead of having the fries and the gravy and two desserts. But there are still so many healthy choices to be found there. But I think that that choice is still definitely a factor as are the skills. Absolutely. And we know that it takes time to develop the skills and patience and the opportunity to put all that into place. But we also know that there's a huge influence over what people are preparing. As we mentioned last season, the whole broccoli, brown rice, chicken breast, merry-go-round that people find themselves on. Oh, for sure. And that is such a hard nut to crack precisely because of the influence that social media, print media, and here I'm talking to magazines and the cookbooks that literally line the shelves of any bookstore that you go into that tell you that this is the best only and guaranteed way to cook. And when you eat that way, you're going to get those sexy abs and you're going to achieve that healthy weight and it's all going to be moon spoon in June. But they're missing so many really, really important aspects to that whole equation. All those moving parts have not necessarily been considered. Oh, absolutely. And it is very frustrating for sure because none of those books discusses the underlying issues that may have resulted in the weight gain in the first place. Right. As I mentioned, yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, this whole idea of recreational eating is really somewhat alarming. We have always known that we have the tendency to eat more when we have you know that mindless eating aspect like when we're at the movie theater we have a, a huge tub of popcorn on our laps and we're enjoying the movie and we're just for eating we're not really paying attention or if we go out for dinner or to an event and there's lots of food available so we're going to fill our plates because there's lots of different things to try since we haven't really been able to go to the movies much or really indoor gathering rings or a kind of a fond memory at this point. The fact that people are dealing with their boredom and stress or anxiety by eating their way through the stuff that they have in their cupboards or fridges speaks to the fact that weight loss is about more than just eating properly and getting enough activity. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and yet the really unfortunate thing is that people are beating themselves up when they make those choices that they don't think fits the mold. And they forget that there are all those moving 
moving parts that make it so difficult to say, I'm going to do A and B to get to C. And don't factor in that it is not a linear process. And it has to be a long-term sustained effort with really no true end date. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the really challenging shift that is required is that it it isn't something you start and then once you get there, it's over. I'm good to go. (laughs) If you don't keep making those good decisions, those choices every day on the whole, then it's just going to be a temporary fix. And it's not going to yield those results you want in the long term. So hence that whole yo-yo effect. Right. And I mean, we haven't really heard a lot about yo-yo dieting anymore, because I feel like the diets of the yo-yo days were, you know, the grapefruit diet, the Scarsdale diet, the Atkins diet. I mean, and they're all still around. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they've gone underground or they've just been replaced <laughs> by new, new, new names, new diets, right? We've got intermittent fasting. We've got keto. We've got clean. We've got paleo. Then they, they usurp entire nations. So the Mediterranean diet, rather than just focusing on what might work for us in a climate in a country where, you know, we don't necessarily have access, like from coast to coast to coast, to all of the same things. Because I think the biggest thing about the weight loss myth is that it is something that is a one-size-fits-all approach Mm -hmm. and honestly that is the furthest thing from the truth the whole idea of giving someone a meal plan or a list of foods that they can or cannot have and expecting that they stick to that for some defined or worse indeterminate amount of time means that you're really just setting them up for failure at some point Maybe in the short term, they can follow those rigid rules. Maybe that's what they need in the moment to jumpstart this new chapter for themselves, you know, and then they can get some sense of success and accomplishment. Our earliest memories are often with relation to food and people and, you know, our heritage and our background and our family history. And if what they're telling us that you can or cannot eat doesn't fit within that, it's going to fail. I mean, weight loss can really only happen under one circumstance, when calories in are less than calories out for the long term. But... In order for that to be sustainable, the decrease in energy has to be significant enough to cause the body to tap into its reserves, but not so drastic that there's that negative impact on the metabolic rate, right? That's the whole point of the yo-yo dieting is that our Mm -hmm. body slows down to compensate. So we're really just shooting ourselves in the foot if we cut our intake so drastically that our body shifts into this radical, okay, I have no really other choice, but know that I'm going to learn from this behavior and I'm, I'm slowing things down in the future because I don't know when this next catastrophe is going to hit. You want to be able to remain as metabolically active as possible, yeah. but cutting those calories too drastically is really going to significantly impact your long-term weight maintenance, right? And I think that that's, again, a piece that's often forgotten, especially if the choices that we made to cut those calories were a part of a fad diet, and then yeah. we simply return to what we used to do. Oh, look, exactly. it worked. I've lost 20 pounds. Now I can go back to doing what I what I did before. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. I don't think so. <laughs> but I'm at the end, so I'm all yeah, good I'm, now. I'm good now. <laughs> I, I've <Check>. passed. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, that that's a huge challenge. I mean, we look at those fad diets that kind of come and, and go, and they've worked for some people, some number of people, and it's all anecdotal and really not proven by science. And then because of 
either the level of, like you said, the caloric restriction or the types of foods that can or cannot be consumed becomes just an unrealistic way of eating in the long term. And so people chalk it up to just being another failed diet. And that is if they realize that it is the diet that failed them and not that they failed. Totally. Weight loss cannot and will not happen until we change our relationship with food and also ensure that we're getting up and moving as much as we can and fit it into our daily routines and engage in that activity. And that both of those things need to happen forever. <laughs> it's, it's a lifelong <laughs> process. <laughs> Weight loss can happen. It's obvious that it can happen. People have accomplished it, right? But for it to be maintained and a maintainable change, it needs to happen so slowly that it looks like it's not even happening at all. And then it needs to be maintained by continuing to do the things that you did to get there over the long haul. Right. And yeah. I think that that's, I mean, that has to be, nobody wants to hear that. I mean, that's the reason that this, what we're saying is such a hard pill to swallow. Nobody wants to hear, you're going to have to do this. It's going to be hard. It's going to take a long, long time. It's going to look like nothing's happening, but stick with it, right? Like there's nothing really inherently positively reinforcing about that. <laughs> No. But it really can't be an either or proposition, right? It needs to be making choices now and making choices in the future to help to make sure that this does become a permanent change. It would be lovely to think that we could do something for three weeks or six weeks or even six months and have this amazing transformation. And then it's just going to kind of happen. It's about eating well, not dieting. It's about moving consistently every day as much as you can in ways that make you feel good. And what if, what if we stop focusing on weight? <laughs> well, what if? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But like you said, where it's that lifelong process and that it's not just going to happen in a flash where we're going to see these instant results and that's off-putting to a lot of people because they want we want that instant gratification yeah we live in a world where it's all about this instant gratification and we tend to gravitate towards those things that are saying what we want to hear mm -hmm. you know do this for i don't even know one week or two weeks and lose 30 pounds oh yeah. great sign me up <laughs> <laughs> and that is usually do this or follow this diet and you will lose, you know, X number of pounds in X time. Again, we've seen that this is possible, but then what happens one or two or three years down the road? And if we weren't, if there weren't any other changes made that allow for the maintenance of the weight loss, the sad reality is that it's going to be short-lived or as short-lived as the efforts being put into that. So rather than taking a long, hard look at what am I doing now, what do I want to achieve and what is realistic, people go to extremes. They listen to, to what other people are telling them instead of listening to their own bodies and their common sense. <laughs> now, I'm going to do this 75 days of hard <laughs> and I don't care if I'm dying. I'm going to keep going because they're telling me to. Yep. <laughs> And then, and then what, right? And then that no longer becomes feasible or sustainable. They throw in the proverbial towel and then it's often right back to square one. Exactly. So I think really what we're trying to say here is that weight loss is 
possible. But like you said, it doesn't, it, it shouldn't always be about that. It should be about every other thing that you're going to gain and that are benefits to making those changes. The other upsides of eating well, preparing beautiful food together, getting outside when you can, getting outside when the weather is crappy and saying, you know what, I went outside when the weather was crappy and it was a really invigorating time. But you're going to have to give yourself a year or two to get there if weight is still where your focus is. It's going to take some time. You're going to have to take stock of your current habits, both as they relate to eating and not just the what, but the why. We need to focus on that movement and figure out how in all of that to make those small, manageable, doable, sustainable, little baby steps, little shifts so that the changes that you want will happen gradually over time. And again, sadly, that's where we lose people. No one wants to wait a year or two for anything, let alone getting to a place where they will hopefully feel better about themselves. Or that's what they think, right? And that's the other piece. I'll be happy when I'm whatever. And they're putting their happiness on hold for some potentially possible future outcome. And what, in that one to two years or six to eight months or whatever the time frame is that they're giving themselves, they're going to be miserable, missing out on everything that's going on in my life because I'm so driven by this one focus because somebody somewhere in a magazine once upon a time said that I at, you know, five foot eight need to weigh 127 pounds. It's unrealistic. And who are you meant to be? You will likely start feeling better about yourself every time you choose to do that walk. Choose to cook that meal. Eat those vegetables. Opt not to get takeout for the fourth time that week. Pop in that workout DVD. Get up every hour if you're working from home or even if you're at work. To get up to do some stretches. Walk up and down the hall. Take the stairs a couple of times. You can feel good about yourself and be happy about your progress, your current state, wherever you are in that journey to whatever that end goal may or may not look like, but it always is going to have to start with those small, consistent steps. For sure. And when that happens, the positive mental shift that goes along with that will help to reinforce those choices, those new ways of not only doing things, but thinking about things. And that is where the true success lies, not in achieving that new weight or pant size, but realizing the full potential of what you can do and what you can be. You can still pass your force test. You can still do your job. You can have energy at the end of the day to do the things that you enjoy with the people you want to be with. Those measurable, those slightly intangible things are the real measures of success and are what will ultimately make and keep people successful. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think honestly, while it definitely sums it up, it really still only scratches the surface, right? But like with with everything we've talked about, we just need to really start with those baby steps. This is a conversation that has to happen day after day after day because it's the only way that we can start to compete with the myriad of other messaging that is being seen on your Instagram feed, on your Facebook feed, on your Snapchat feed, on TikTok, like everywhere you look, you cannot go to the grocery store without seeing how a person used to look and how they look now and how they're being shamed and mocked for that. Or converse to that, the remarkable transformation story and check out these abs. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, and when we use those images as airbrushed and fake, as we know that they are, as this unwitting measuring stick against which we compare ourselves, this conversation has to happen because we need to constantly remind ourselves and others 
don't get sucked in to the hype. Just being able to stick with those baby steps, know that we have to keep these conversations going with ourselves and with the people we care about. Like if you hear people say stuff, you have to be a bystander even when it isn't about stuff that we're typically thinking about, right? It's not, it's kind of like first aid for your own self-preservation or a person's self-confidence or self-worth. If you hear yeah. someone saying crappy things about themselves and, oh, my thighs and, oh, my this and, oh, whatever, you need to stop them. Why are you choosing to focus on those things? Yeah, exactly. You know, and just kind of stop that conversation for them. Because no matter how tempting it is to believe that there's an easier, faster way to get there or that it's even necessarily the goal that everybody should have there is no easy fast way to get there and you know maybe we just really need to again rethink that that ultimate goal and what about having a little bit of self-compassion and then kind of flipping the script there and when we feel good about ourselves when we feel good about our bodies we treat our bodies well and by doing that by eating well by engaging in that physical activity by uh, resting those other things are going to fall into place, mm -hmm. right? We can't, weight is not a behavior. It's a possible outcome. But when we're constantly critiquing ourselves and nitpicking and we're just going down this, again, this slippery slope into, we're constantly fighting this battle. Yeah. And and we're not treating ourselves well. We're not respecting our bodies when we're in place. No. Self-loathing is a very poor motivator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you again, Nicole, so much for this great discussion. It's so great to be able to remind ourselves and hopefully our listeners that this is an important conversation to have on a regular basis. And I do want to thank everybody again out there for listening. Remember that you can find all the previous episodes on our Calf Connection page. And this season is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Looking forward to our next session where we are joined once again by Jeremy Parasini in Suffield. And we're going to talk about the myth around spot reducing and crunching your way to that six pack. In the meantime, take care, stay healthy, and we'll see you on the flip flop. <laughs>